0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis, I'm Gil Gross, and it is time for a preview of the 2023 Indian Wells BNP Paribas Open, the first ATP Masters event of the year in the California desert, Palm Springs, California, technically Palm Desert, but we we say Palm Springs anyway, Uh, if you are new to the channel, I'm going to go quarter by quarter here. I'm going to give you a dark horse, which is the unseeded player I feel is most likely to go deep, an upset alert, a seeded player who I think is most likely to lose early, an early popcorn match, which is a first or second round match that I think you should definitely watch, and a quarterfinal prediction followed by the final weekend prediction. Indian Wells is the slowest hardcourt of the season. It is gritty. Uh, The bounce is high. I feel like power is at a premium at this event. I find it pretty similar to Clay in in that respect, where you need some power to finish from the back of the court. Uh, We've seen, you know, aside from the big four who have obviously had some success here, aside from that, we've seen. Uh, Stan Vavrinka have success. We've seen Dominic Team win it. We've seen Juan Martin Del Potro win it. Uh, Taylor Fritz is the defending champion. These guys all have big power from the baseline. And uh, that's very important on a hard court this slow uh, to try to get that penetration through the court and hit through your opponent's court coverage, right? Uh, heavy topspin's great. Kick serves are great. And... Also, the balls change. It's something that's kind of a wild card here. Most of the events, if not all of the events, uh, from the Australian Open kind of forward, including the Australian Open, use Dunlop Australian Open tennis balls. I know they use that in the Middle East, obviously, in Australia. Uh, then here, the balls switch to Penn, and some players like them, some players don't. Plus, you have that thin desert air, which does, for some guys, make the ball a little bit hard to control. Uh, lastly... The uh It can be a little bit distracting. Now, I don't base any predictions off of that, but there's a lot going on at Indian Wells in terms of sponsorships and business stuff and responsibilities and politics, like players' council meetings, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's a little bit besides the point. So with all that said, let's get into it, beginning with Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. Alcaraz's quarter features... Felix Ojay Ali Hubert Herkach, Pablo Carrano Busta, Tommy Paul, Dan Evans, and Talon Greekspor. The names that kind of stand out there is Hubert Herkach, who has done really well at Indian Wells, um, Tommy Paul, who's been hot as of late, he's having a great 2023, and Talon Greekspor, who also has a terrific record in 2023, by far his best season. My dark horse here is Gregoire Barrere. I was uh, shuffling between a few names in this quarter for Dark Horse. Obviously, Andy Murray is there as an unseated player. It's a good format for him, best of three with days off. uh, But I just don't love this surface for his ground game. Uh, Other options were Jack Sock, who uh, should love these conditions for his heavy forehand. But Sock has really struggled as of late. There's just no real momentum there. So I shied away from Sock. Echeverry, Tomas Martin Echeverry, had a big golden swing, played well in Santiago. Uh, Just not a lot of tour-level hardcourt success thus far for Echeverry, although I do love his forehand. Uh, Jack Draper is coming off injury, it'll be his first match since Australia, Uh, Draper's Theoretically a guy who I would love to pick as a dark horse, but without any matches since the Australian Open, hard for me to really get there. Uh, Hustler is another guy who I like to pick as a dark horse, or I have thus far. I think I had him as a dark horse at the Australian Open. I believe this is a little bit too slow for Marc-Andrea Hustler to have success. So I, I land on Gregoire Barrère. All of his best results are on French indoor hardcourt, uh, which I don't love. Uh, that's my hesitation, but... I still think he's won a lot of matches recently. His game is big and smooth. He attacks. He's got a big forehand. He comes forward. So he's the kind of player with probably the most confidence that he's ever had in his career with the the play style he brings to the court. Uh, I think he's someone to kind of watch. Is that the strongest dark horse? Not really. Uh, But I I do think Barrear is is my pick there. Um, Upset alerts, FAA. He's 8-5 and five this year. Much worse than how he started last year in January and February. In fact, uh, because I was so high on Felix coming out of February last year, I picked him to make the final of Indian Wells last year. Uh, this is a much different story. Look, uh, you can excuse the Medvedev losses that he's taken in the last two events very easily. Uh, but his other three tournaments this year have ended with losses... ...to players ranked outside the top 50. So the consistency is just still not where you'd like it to be. Plus, I just never think a slower surface is a positive for him. I thought that was kind of changing last year, which is why I picked him to the final. But really, since uh, January of last year, when he had uh, when he played great at ATP Cup in the Australian Open... ...he has kind of shown that it is still a big advantage for FAA to play on quicker surfaces... And with this being as slow as it is, I don't love FAA for this week. These two weeks, really. Kind of a two-week event. 11-day event. Pablo Carreño Busta, pretty simple. One and three on the season. Plays the winner of Andy Murray versus Tomas Martín Echeverry, who, uh, all things considered, are pretty tricky opponents for a, a PCB who hasn't been able to get things going thus far. Early popcorn match, uh, I, I went for one for British tennis. I went Dan Evans against Jack Draper. Uh, Indian Wells, I found, especially this year, is not a great tournament for early popcorn because all of the seeded players have buys. And for some reason, not a lot was really sticking out to me in the early going. But uh, uh I definitely have my eyes on Draper. Um, I will kind of all year long to kind of assess where he's at and Dan Evans is uh is always one of the more entertaining players on t- tour in terms of play style in my opinion. So I have that second round match as my early popcorn. Quarterfinal. I have Carlos Alcaraz defeating Tommy Paul. Now Alcaraz uh the question with him is mainly the hamstring. He said uh you know he he has a strain. It is a uh, a grade Oh crap! Is it one or three? Uh, the the least bad one, the one that is least bad. Uh, I forget which number it is. Uh, I I don't know what to make of that, and here's kind of why: because even if he wasn't injured, I don't think it would have been really smart for him to play Acapulco after back-to-back finals. I mean, Cam Nori pulled out of Acapulco as well, so I don't doubt that his hamstring uh, was was certainly injured, and you know he didn't move well at all in the last two sets of his uh, Rio de Janeiro final against Cam Nori no he moved he moved hardly he didn't want to run so i don't i'm not doubting that there's an injury but i will say that even if the injury was is very mild it still would have made sense for him to pull out of Acapulco and therefore it's very hard for me to gauge how serious this is uh, he also pulled out of the Las Vegas exhibition but again that's just I can't really hit the panic button because of that. So I guess for me, I'm kind of assuming that Carlos Alcaraz is going to be uh, all right from a health perspective. And uh, I still regard him on a slow hard court. Uh, That might be be the best. it, It might be as good as it gets for him might be the most ideal conditions for Alcaraz. Uh, obviously you could make a decent argument for Clay at this point, but he played so well at Indian Wells in Miami last year. It was kind of his breakthrough. I love the power. I love the speed. And again, I, I think that physicality goes a really long way at Indian Wells. Uh Tommy Paul is the guy who I chose to make uh to make it out of the bottom half. Um I was uh, strongly considering Hubert Hurkacz, who again has had uh, had success here, uh, nine and three lifetime at Indian Wells. The high bounce is terrific for Hurkacz's forehand. He's my second choice there, but I do ha- envisioning I envision him having a terrible time trying to finish points against Tommy Paul, who has always had the speed, but now he has the fitness and the shot tolerance. It's made him a really really tough baseliner. Uh, slow hardcourt, to me, is the ideal surface for Tommy. And at Indian Wells, he's got a, tr- a terrific 5-2 and two record with two top five wins. Uh, two of the best wins of his career, uh, Zverev and Andre Rublev. And in terms of recovery, I do believe he'll be okay fitness-wise. Uh, but thank goodness for the bye. If he didn't have a bye, I'd be concerned. But his first match is going to be like uh, either Friday or Saturday. So it's a decent amount of time for Tommy Paul to recover from what was a brutally taxing Acapulco. All right. And with that, I think we are ready to move on to Taylor Fritz's quarter, the defending champion. You got Holger Runa, Yannick Sinner, Alex Dimonor, Borna Chorich, Lorenzo Musetti. Uh, Misha Ketsmanovich and Sebastian Baez. This is a really strong quarter, especially in the top half. Uh, I will say right now, there are three guys in this quarter who I really wanted to pick to the semifinal. Obviously, I could only pick one. You'll find out who it was soon. But yeah, I mean, three of these guys before the draw came out, I wanted to pick them to the semi. Tough luck for me. My dark horses here, I have two, Stan Wawrinka and JJ Wolf. Uh, Wawrinka, this has been his best Masters 1000 tournament by win percentage. His record here, uh, I don't have his exact record, but 69% win percentage. Again, that's his best out of any Masters. In 2017, he made the final here. The only hardcourt Masters he's made the final of. And Look, that's not a shock to me. He loves the the extra time on the ball. The conditions are great for how big and heavy he hits from the back of the court. So it's a lot like a clay court and, you know, Roland Garros, where Stan can just really rip from behind the baseline and impose his will with his power. Uh, hasn't played here since 2019, but, you know, he's lost to Federer or Djokovic Six times in 11 appearances. So it almost feels like because he's drawn those guys so often, it could be an even better win percentage, perhaps if the draw luck was a little bit better. And I like how Stan has looked this year. I think he's looked pretty good. So Stan, dark horse. JJ Wolf is my other dark horse. Now, I could have just gone with Stan, uh, but I I wanted to uh, diversify You'll see what I mean in a second. Um, but I, I'm I'm putting J.J. Wolf in here. Uh, has the combination of speed and power that I love on this surface. I'm a bit worried about his slice serve not skidding. We'll have to see how that looks. Uh, last year, it was uh, a much worse version of J.J. Wolf. He hadn't accomplished much when he came to Indian Wells this time last year. Uh, but he did come through qualifying and beat Hugo Gaston. So that's three match wins for J.J., which kind of tells me, oh, and then the second round was... Uh, Roberto Bautista Agut, yes, the surface doesn't really help RBA, but J.J. took him to a third set tiebreak. So the results are there for for him. Uh, He had that big Australian Open, not a great February. I'm going to throw that aside, and I feel like J.J., uh, with with his forehand from a high contact point especially, is pretty dangerous uh, here. Uh, Upset alert, I don't really feel great about this one, but I have Miamir up on upset alert, And I just feel like that Stan matchup is really dangerous. And that's kind of why I put him here. Uh, Kaczmanovic has actually performed really well at Indian Wells. He's made two quarterfinals here. So uh, he seems to really like the surface. Uh, But he'll be at a power deficit against Stan. And he likes to give a lot of rhythm. Which is not great when you're playing Vavrinka. He kind of overperformed this time last year. And I also feel like he'll probably feel a lot of stress about defending the points. We'll see. There's a lot at stake for him. You know, if he wants to maintain that kind of seated position heading into the clay court season, which would be really nice for him, he'll have to do pretty well here at at Indian Wells and Miami. He did have a good result at uh, Delray Beach a couple weeks back, so that's good signs for his form. Again, I don't feel awesome about as upset alert, but he is, of course, my pick. Um, all right. Popcorn match. Taylor Fritz versus the winner of Ben Shelton and Fabio Fanini, particularly if it's Shelton. I expect it to be Shelton, and I don't really need to explain too much. Look, and I'm not trying to make it so that the popcorn match has to be two players from the same country pitted against each other. That's just how it's been on the first two quarters here, uh, but I... I'm fascinated by Ben Shelton. It's one of the guys, just like a Holger Runa, where the sample size is small enough where I'm still not really used to watching them play. So every time I get to watch them play, it's a treat. Um, You know, that's true of any player who's, I don't know, I mean, look, Runa's been around for over a year now, frequently at the tour level, but, uh, you know, I guess Shelton more so, is more new than, than Runa, and he's got enormous weapons. I worry about Shelton on quicker uh, courts. Now, I know the serve is awesome, is great, and he wants a quick surface for that, but I think the ground game is not really yet adjusted to the speed of tennis at the very, very highest level. And as a result, I actually think he'll be a better baseliner on a slow hard court compared to a quick hard court. Yeah, I guess don't, don't count out Fabio Fanini, uh, but with so much on the line for Taylor Fritz, a first-round loss would be really tough for him. Um, I will have my eyes on that first match for Taylor Fritz, no doubt. No doubt about that. Um let's reveal the quarterfinal and get into this more. I have Yannick Sinner defeating Taylor Fritz. Uh the third guy is Holger Runa. So, you know, Fritz, Runa, Sinner. I loved all of them coming in. I think their games are good for the surface. I I like kind of the the calendar spot for them, the scheduling for them. I thought a lot of things were kind of in the right position for them to do well, but only one of them is going to be able to make the semi-final. Uh, I'll pass on Runa uh, because this surface does ask for a level of discipline. Uh, some players do have trouble controlling the ball at Indian Wells, and uh, you know it, it's hard to know if that's going to be Runa or not because we haven't really seen him here. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of discipline necessary. And you know, right now Runa is a player who got really really aggressive in the second half of 2022 has been in, in has been in love with that kind of all-out attacking style and sometimes it can come back to hurt him when he's not when he's not able to reduce the unforced errors to a rate that is acceptable. So I'm going to pass on Runa here. Uh, Fritz, he's played Yannick Sinner once, and it was actually at Indian Wells, and Taylor won. But I just feel like I need to get on the Yannick train right now. His losses this year, Sinner's losses, are... Are to Korda in Adelaide when he was playing Unbelievable, uh, Tsitsipas in Medvedev. So he has yet to take a bad loss. I feel like his return game and his athleticism give him a slightly higher ceiling than Taylor. And that's what this mostly comes down to. Now, Fritz, there's a lot of pressure. Is he good enough really to uh, reliably defend a Masters 1000 title? Not really, but... I don't think the Indian Wells success for Fritz is a coincidence. I think this is the best possible surface for his forehand. He feels completely at home when he's at Indian Wells. He does obviously consider it his home tournament. Uh, the success, you can go back really, really far and find success uh, for Taylor Fritz at Indian Wells. Even before he was a top 50 player, he was pulling off upsets. Uh, his overall record here is 16 and is 16-6. He's got consecutive semifinals. Uh, but here's my favorite Taylor Fritz stat for Indian Wells. Taylor Fritz is 10 and 5 when he plays uh players ranked higher than him at Indian Wells. So as the lower ranked player at Indian Wells, he is 10 and 5. That's how much this kind of gives him a boost. Uh so yeah, it's tough to pick against him, but at the same time Again, I really want to get on the center bandwagon right now. And Fritz also has taken some tough losses in big, hardcourt tournaments since the Indian Wells title last year. I don't think that's a pattern that can continue, but does it give me a little bit of pause, a little bit of hesitation? Sure, sure it does. All right, Kasparud's quarter. You have Daniil Medvedev, Alexander Zverev, Karen Hachinov, Roberto bautista Agut, Alejandro Davidovich-Fukina, Botik van de skulp And Yoshi Nishioka. Interesting quarter here. Not the strongest. Definitely not the strongest. Probably the weakest. My dark horse here is Wu Yibing and Xiaoma Munar. I really like both of them. And they play in the first round. So uh, that's why sometimes I like to kind of, you know, just say whoever wins. Uh, But this is uh, going to be Wu Bing's first match since the Dallas title. Lots of rest, of course. Made a challenger final in Cleveland before then. Uh, but but the big thing here is, you know, the surface is going to slow down and he's going to go outdoors. So there's no guarantee that things are going to be easy for him. In fact, I don't think they will be. I mean, he did lose to quarantine Mute at the Australian Open. And I consider his round one, Jaume Munar, to be a pretty similar uh, opponent to Mute. Now... Uh, Munar isn't really as creative, and he's a little bit tougher mentally. Uh, uh, actually, a lot tougher mentally than uh, than Mute. Uh, a little less spunk offensively, maybe. Uh, but anyway, you know they're both players who are really quick, drop back deep in the court, make it very difficult to. For them to hit through, uh, Munar won four matches at Indian Wells last year and took Fret and took Fritz to a third-set tiebreak. This is the most forgotten part of Fritz's Indian Wells title last year. The most forgotten part is that he nearly lost to Jaume Munar. So Munar definitely should be a dark horse here, and uh, he played well in Santiago. So he also was having a, a tough 2023 where he wasn't really winning much. Now he can kind of feel better, more confident coming into this Indian Wells. And by the way, I think the clay is decent preparation. Like I I don't know. It's hard to say. Like I it's really hard to tell if the golden swing is good preparation for Indian Wells or not. I would love for somebody to run the numbers there. The problem with running the numbers is that Or, you know, just me trying to observe that is most of the players who you would expect to play well, let me put it this way. Most of the top players don't play the Golden Swing. So it wouldn't be fair to be like, well, look at all the players who did well at Indian Wells. None of them played the Golden Swing. That means Golden Swing is bad preparation. I don't think that would be good math because you look at most of the top players and they're in the Middle East or on the indoor hard courts in February in Europe. All right, that was a, a real aside that I got off topic. So, Jaume Munor, Wu Bing, those are my dark horses. Upset alert is Casper Ruud. All right. Um, I have watched most of Rude's matches this year. And not a single time has he looked okay to me. <laughs> even in the wins. He's only won one match in straight sets. And that was against Thiago Montero. I didn't even think he played well. Montero couldn't make a single ball in that match. The Montero win is also his highest-ranked win of the season. Montero was, at the time, 71 in the world. So the results are bad. Three and four record, losing record. The eye test is just as bad. He took February off. Um, So I don't know what that looked like. But I think it's fair to assume that because he needed to rest in February, uh, because he didn't look very good last week in Acapulco, it's probably going to take Casper some time. Look, uh for me with Rude, the timeline is basically Monte Carlo. He's way off right now. It's not a good start to the year. He just needs to kind of get right in time for clay and I mean, look, I guess I guess that's tough, right? Cuz he did so well at Miami last year. He he'll, he'll want to play well in Miami from a ranking standpoint, but uh other than that, I think Rude is in a bit of trouble right now just with what I've seen. All right. Um early popcorn. I'm going to go with Daniil Medvedev versus the winner of John Isner versus Brandon Nakashima. Isner really good at Indian Wells. It's been a great tournament for him. Uh the kick serve is nasty. Just nasty on this gritty hardcore. Uh, It's it's just like Isner um, has has played really consistent and pretty well at Roland Garros. It's the same thing. Uh, You you know you can't high bounce. High bounce is huge for him. Helps him immensely. I I mean it's not really just because he's tall. It's because his forehand is really good from a high contact point because he's good at flattening out, flattening it out. So Isner's really good. Uh, But Nakashima is great against big servers. Nakashima beats, you know, he's played Isner well in his career, Raonic well, uh, Opelka well. He's played all these guys well. So, Nakashima, uh, I mean, he hasn't had a big season, but he's also a guy who I think is is going to be someone by the end of the year, I expect him to be top 30, so you know, right now, uh, it's an intriguing matchup for Daniil Medvedev. And for Medvedev, early on, well, let me let me save this part. Let me save this part. In fact, let me reveal the quarterfinal. All right, my quarterfinal here is Davidovich Fakina defeating Daniil Medvedev. Uh yeah, it's one of the boldest picks I've probably made at a big tournament in a long time. Uh, Daniil Medvedev obviously was the best player in the world in February, no doubt about it. Uh, he was on fire his level was through the roof uh but now he uh he has to play on a hard court that's probably the worst hard court for him in the world it just it's not going to reward his flatter hitting uh and the results at Indian Wells for Daniil have not been good so uh i go through medvedev's um, oh, and and you know, the, the balls change again. It's just it's going to feel completely different for him now when he has to kind of look. I, I love that he's confident um, and I am picking him to the quarterfinal here. The confidence will help him. I almost picked him to the semifinal. Don't get me wrong, but um, I went another way. So here's what I'm concerned about with Medvedev on this court. Uh, it's all about uh, finishing, finishing from the back of the court, which was looked so good in the Middle East. But Uh, Essentially, when he faces off against speed at Indian Wells, that's where I can be concerned. He lost to Gael Monfils last year. He lost to Grigor Dimitrov the year before. Uh, These guys have high-end speed. And certainly Davidovich Fikina is, uh, I think, a top five athlete on tour, as speedy as they come. I also think Nishioka would give him trouble if it's Nishioka. Uh, If it's Hachanov, it could be Hatchinov, then I think Medvedev would win. Uh, Then I think he'd make the semifinals. So, this is another case, as is usually the case, where I, you know, kind of have a little bit of matchup things going on in my head. Um, But, you know, for Medvedev, six and five record at Indian Wells for his career. Best result is a round of 16 in 2021. So, look at it this way I have Daniil Medvedev making the best run of his career at Indian Wells. Uh, but I am going to have him falling in the quarterfinals. Now, let me talk a little bit more about Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, who is, what is he? What, let me check what he's seeded. This is a pretty bold pick. I mean, he's the 23 seed. Uh, Davidovich Fakina, not to mention, he has to play a dark horse in the second round. Uh, Davidovich Fakina is a guy who, for a long, long time, I have considered to have the highest upside out of anyone outside the top 15. Uh with that being said, I haven't been that high on him as a danger. Uh Even, you know, after he had that big Monte Carlo where he made the finals, my tone on this was like, all right, you know, he's really not ready yet. He doesn't play right. He's not good mentally. He's way too emotional. He doesn't make good decisions. He uh doesn't, he loses focus almost every match. He, uh, doesn't respond well to adversity in, in in during match play. He has all of these issues with his match toughness. Um, but I think the the raw tools, but besides his serve, which is not good, uh, forehand, backhand, movement, uh, feel, touch, creativity, ability to defend, like all of these things, I think are super super great for him. Even baseline power, I think, is really great for him. And I've just been kind of had my eye on him. Okay, is he ever going to start to work on the mental game? And I just like what I've seen from him. No, the results have not been slap you in the face good in the last uh, in 2023 or in the last month. But I've been watching him. And I'm seeing him do a lot of things on the court that are kind of meditative and calming just to try to control his emotions a little bit better. And then you look at all of his recent losses. They're all against top players, and they're all very competitive. So I just feel like he's so close. He took Andre Rublev to a third set tiebreak in Dubai. Um, and then, you know, Rublev went on to make the final. Uh, he he took the first set against Anil Medvedev in Rotterdam. Like, his losses have been very good. Uh, and... I like these conditions way better than I like Rotterdam for him, way better than I like Dubai for him. This is a, He needs a very slow surface so that he can get into return games because his serve isn't good, um, and for his defense and his speed to to really uh, be as effective as possible. I like him in slow conditions. Monte Carlo is the slowest event of the year, besides for maybe some of the post-Wimbledon clay like Bustad. Uh, it, it's the I think Bostad might be the slowest court of the year. Monte Carlo is one of the slowest courts of the year, though. And that's the tournament where year after year after year, Davidovich Fakina does best. It wasn't just last year, guys. It wasn't just last year. He always does his best at Monte Carlo. Um, so this is my favorite hard court for him. He's pushed Medvedev to three sets in both meetings. Not just Rotterdam, but the the time before when he played Medvedev, he pushed him to three sets. Uh, could be Hatchinov also. Uh, Davidovich-Vikina beat Hachinov in their only match. So I've been waiting for Davidovich-Vikina to kind of break out. And I kind of like what I've seen from him. So I'm going to go for it. Let's see what happens. Let's move on. Uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas quarter. You have Andre Rublev. You have Cam Nouri. You have Francis Tiafo, Matteo Berrettini, Grigor Dimitrov, Denis Shapovalov, and Maxime Cressy. This is full of guys who have done really well at Indian Wells recently. Andrei Rublev made the semis last year. Nori won the title two years ago. Uh, Dimitrov is always really good at Indian Wells. I think he made the semis. Do I have this written down in my notes? No, I don't. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I have it here. Uh, Dimitrov made the semis two years ago and the quarters last year. So... A lot of really good Indian Wells players in this in this section, which is kind of interesting. Um, of course, Titi pas is the top seed. Not so much. All right, uh, dark horse is Yuri Lahechka Of all the dark horses, this was definitely my most uh, no-brainer dark horse. I love the way Lahechka has been uh, playing as of late. Uh, he's he's eleven and five this year. None of his losses have been bad. And the forehand is exactly that high-octane weapon I want at Indian Wells. The backhand is really big, too. There's just no shortage of baseline power with Lehechka. Upset alert is Matteo Berrettini. He's only got one win since United Cup. And he looked pretty good at United Cup. Just hasn't been good since then. His only win was over um, um, Elias Emer last week. And then he retired against Runa due to a calf strain that didn't scan badly enough for him to pull out. Uh, He was also, he looked really, really uh, despondent in that match um, as well. And also, it was kind of funky that he kind of made the fans wait through like a 40 to 50-minute rain delay. It was raining. And then they came back, and then Berrettini played like three more games and then retired, so... Berrettini got booed, and usually I think it's pretty unfair when players get booed after retiring. I'm almost always on the player's side. But uh, from the fan's perspective, you have to understand, like, you sat in the rain for, like, 50 minutes, and then the guy played three games and then retired. A little bit, you know, I I get why Berrettini was booed. I'll say that. Anyway, uh, so, you know, not a lot of positives right now for Berrettini. Health question marks, which, man, we've just—we always say that, it seems— Uh, Plus, best of three sets on a hard court. Hasn't traditionally been uh, a spot where Berrettini has excelled. My uh, early popcorn match is Gael Monfils versus Jordan Thompson. Uh, First round match. Uh, This has nothing to do with Jordan Thompson. This is just Gael Monfils. He's coming back, baby. Um, And Monfils, who's kind of the king of popcorn on tour, is playing his first match since Canada last year. My understanding is that it is a foot injury. I also, I think this is his first match as a father. Um, I might be a little bit cloudy on when his wife, Alina, Alina Svitolina, Alina Monfils, um, when she had uh, their child. But I'm pretty sure it was after the U.S. Open in the fall. So Monfils is now a father. Congrats to him. Good to see him back. And that is my early popcorn match. All right. Ready for this one? My quarterfinal. Here is Stefano Tsitsipas defeating Yuri Lahechka I really agonized over this quarter. I don't feel great about this. I very nearly went with Lahechka, who, interestingly enough, so I'm really high on him, and he actually has basically the same thing going on that he had at the Australian Open, where he has Cam Nori and he has Andre Rublev. And I'm pretty sure those are the guys who Yuri Lahechka, I'm just going to double-check this, uh, beat at the Australian Open. Uh, yeah, and then Titi Pass. he lost to Pass. So yeah, Lahechka beat Nori, and oh no, he didn't beat Rublev. He did not beat Rublev. But didn't he beat Rublev? Hold on. Didn't he beat Rublev uh, recently, or am I making that up as well? Yeah, he did. All right, so Lahechka, he beat Rublev in, in Doha. Doha, Qatar. So basically, Lehechka is in... I like the surface for him, I think, uh, with the big forehand. And everyone in his section, he's already defeated. So I love Lehechka. I'm going to pick him to the quarterfinal. I think Nori's a good matchup for him. I think Rublev uh, can be a good matchup for him uh, if he attacks that second serve, which I think he has the ability to do uh, pretty well. Um, and then on the Tsitsipas side of things... You do have, I think, a lot of discomfort. I'm probably, well, I don't know what kind of form Monfils is in. Uh, Could be Maxime Cressy, who's uncomfortable. I don't love him in these conditions, but could be uncomfortable. Uh, But then you have, you could have Grigor Dimitrov, who has, I think, pushed Tsitsipas to a third set tiebreak in two consecutive matches. Definitely did it at the United Cup earlier this year. And we know how much Dimitrov loves Indian Wells and plays well here. Uh, and then, if it's not Lehechka in the quarterfinal, Rublev plays really well against Tsitsipas, and Cam Nori is a good matchup against Tsitsipas, the lefty in, into the that one-handed backhand with the heavy spin on a high-bouncing court, uh, similar to what we saw last year in Acapulco when Nori beat Tsitsipas. So... And, and Cam Nuri is playing amazing tennis and won the title here two years ago. This is a tough, tough quarter to pick. I don't like it. Meanwhile, Tsitsipas hasn't really been great at Indian Wells. In fact, he hasn't been good at Indian Wells. Uh, let's see. His best run is a quarterfinal in 2021. He ended up losing to Basilashvili in three sets. He's played a lot of three-setters. Last year, won a three-set match against Sock. Lost a three-setter against Jensen Brooksby, which I thought was a pretty like listless loss. He he lost the first set 6-1. He lost the third set 6-2 against Brooksby. I, I don't know, though. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And that's why this is so hard. Why I've gone back and forth is because I feel like Tsitsipas should play great on, on at Indian Wells. The conditions should be good for him. But they haven't been. So... I just didn't know what to do here. I really for I really almost picked Lahechka, but I'm like, am I going to pick Lahechka and Davidovich Fokina to the semis? And I don't know how else to say it. I didn't have the balls. All right, final weekend. Semifinals, Yannick Sinner defeats Carlos Alcaraz in three sets. Stefanos Tsitsipas defeats Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in two sets, and Sinner defeats Tsitsipas in three sets. Mind you, it was very nearly this. I'll just show you for fun. It was nearly Lahetchka over Davidovich Fikina and then Sinner over Lahetchka in the Indian Wells final. Eh, I'm going to go with Tsitsipas. Uh, I, I think he's played well in 2023 and it doesn't make much sense to me that he hasn't played at Indian Wells. But if it happens one more time... Like if Titi Pass doesn't have a good tournament, then it's one of those things. It's like some guys just don't like the balls and the conditions in Indian Wells, and it's just it's just how it goes. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, final weekend here. I never like to get too deep into the breakdowns here, but obviously, Sinner has played Alcaraz so tight each and every time. It it has been repeatedly a classic, and uh, I think I like Yannick Sinner here uh, with the steady, uh, consistent style. Titi pass over Davidovich Fakina. rematch of the Monte Carlo final. That one was pretty straightforward. As much as I like what Davidovich Fakina has done mentally recently, I still think he could be pretty prone to get overexcited in a big match at the end of a Masters 1000. Sinner over Titi pass. Steph has had a lot of trouble in finals recently. I like Yannick a little bit in terms of uh, a little bit better in terms of bringing his a game to a big final outdoor hardcourt, especially with Pass. It just it hasn't been good in the finals there, and uh, Yannick just beat Stefanos really decisively in Rotterdam. So it it was a matchup that Pass kind of owned. Sinner really jumped on him, really really jumped on him. And he's more even from the back of the court um, with the better back end. I feel like when Pas has beaten Sinner, a lot of it has been just winning those zero through four shot rallies with the more potent serve plus one combination. And at Indian Wells, it's much easier for that to be neutralized. I think we'd get a lot more uh, neutral rallies from the back of the court. That's really where I like Yannick Sinner in this matchup against Pas. And again... I set it as my logic for Yannick to kind of get out of this this quarter where I really liked Runa and I really liked Fritz. I just feel like it's time to get on the Yannick bandwagon here. He's got the requisite power to do well at Indian Wells. Um, and I really loved what he did in February. He built up the confidence early on, played an awesome level, uh, but he, he also comes in super well-rested. Let's have a good tournament. I do have a wedding for... Uh, during the first weekend of the tournament, so the coverage is going to be a little bit light uh, for a period of time, but other than that, it will, uh, it will pick up again uh, towards the end of the tournament, uh, no doubt. Hope you enjoyed this preview. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.